play clock at one. With Lenahan sees some room to run. Makes a man miss. Touchdown. Nice protection. Nowhere to go with the football. When the lights come on and the beer taps flow. And I hear the crowd singing life of a rolling stone. When hell freezes over and the vandals are worth a damn. That's when I'll see you again. When pigs begin to fly and there's peace among men. Standing for something is no longer seen. When the sun comes out and I crawl out of my bed, that's when I'll see you again. Hell must have got pretty damn cold, and who would have thought that the vandals and winter bowl? When I look out tonight, all I see are my friends. We are the tide from the north, we're brave and we're bold, defeating our rivals never gets old, making our way to the big sky conference, watch out cause here comes the silver and gold, whoa, whoa, this is Tubbs at the club for the Vandals of Idaho. Welcome back, Try from the North Brave and Bold, to the official, unofficial podcast of your Idaho Vandals and the Vandals affiliate on the Big Sky Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brian Marceau, joined today. You guys will notice Dallas Hammer is not here. He's on the IR, or if he's off, not on the IR, he's out of town. Martin, I heard laughing in the background, which makes me believe Amateur Hour has started. <laughs> But I was reading off a script, so I missed it. Everyone, that's producer Martin Heemstra, who you can tell me what I miss. Nothing. Nothing. It's like a curse that keeps following the Tribune people. (laughs) Okay. And listeners now are going to have absolutely no idea what the hell the pause is for. But listeners will notice. Now's the new voice you heard. We're joined today by... Taryn Kovach, current Idaho beat reporter for the Lewiston Tribune. Taryn, first time on the show. How's it going? Going great. Thank you guys so much for having me. Yeah, I first ran into Taryn at Media Day in Spokane and it took a couple seconds. Like I knew you were familiar. You seemed Idaho centric because everyone yeah. who's not Montana, if you go to Media Day, like it's pretty clear who's following yeah. Montana, Montana State. And the rest you can just tell it's like when my wife is in law school and i'd go to law school parties you could tell who the law school students were and the hangers on and i would go find all the other hangers on have a good time kind of like we did at media day but taryn we're gonna jump in right away to around the bar brought to us by hughes river expedition before just to give people a background mm-hmm. um, you you cover this is not your first fall camp covering idaho football is that correct uh, yeah, so last year um, I was uh, lucky enough to uh, be asked by Antea McCollum, who was the uh, editor-in-chief of the Argonaut at the time, if I wanted to cover football. And, you know, I covered the team that whole season. I also uh, covered the basketball team as well. And then, yeah, uh, graduated. um started working at the Tribune and that's uh, football season rolled around. Um, uh, Steph, who is the last beat reporter, moved to WSU. Uh, Dale Grimmer, who's the old Idaho guy, moved to the news desk. And, you know, I was, I'm kind of like the in-between guy until uh, Trevin Pixley comes down from Sandpoint and starts doing his thing. But yeah. So look, you, you broke the lead. I know we're going to talk about football. The whole show's about football, but mm-hmm. you have to tell us. Covering last year's basketball team, 60 seconds. Is that, is that the highlight of your last decade? Oh, man. It's 
the basketball team is a, a weird spot for me because I'm definitely more of a football guy, but gosh, last year it was a it was a weird season, but I think it was a special season. I think is a good term for it. That's a good way to uh, just close that out. And I really just had to ask a basketball question. We have some listeners who uh, believe that I am committed to bringing up basketball when I don't <laughs> need to. And so they know, oh, they're right. If I can bring up basketball for no reason, I'm going to do it. I already did. <laughs> but we've taken the veg- the veggie segue already. So we're going to jump into football. Look, the, the first question, because, Taryn, you've been – obviously, you've talked to Jason Neck through Media Day. Mm-hmm. You've been to – I mean, there's not been that many fall camp practices yet. You've been to a handful of them. Uh, you're honestly the person to follow for written work relating to Idaho fall camp right now, you guys, if you check uh, Taryn's workout at the LM Tribune, or it's published on Moscow Daily News, Pullman Daily News as well, correct? Yeah, it's published above. Okay. So look, we just have to get to the big story. On this show, we've tried forever to not – to not do like the dumbest person in the world version of talking about football, where like you always talk about quarterback and only quarterback, mm-hmm. but we look, we can't skip over this because it's good. This is one of the more exciting and easy to follow position battles on the team based off what you've seen so far. Just give us a rundown of, I mean, does it look like how, how's the snap count look? Does it look mm-hmm. like we have a leader emerging? You just, just grab the wheel and then I'll, I'll pull you back later. Yeah, uh, so the first three days of practice, uh, each quarterback, I think, had the best day. Uh, Jabori, I think, had the best first day. Uh, and then CJ and Giovanni each split one the next two days. And Saturday's practice, I wasn't able to go to, so I didn't see how that one looked. But the last couple of days, it looks like it's, you know, CJ's been the most consistent of the three. He, um, uh, yeah, today he made uh, during seven on sevens and eleven on elevens. I don't think he missed a throw. I, I I cannot think of a play off the top of my head that he missed. The last couple practices I think have definitely been his best uh, since they started on Wednesday. Uh, that being said, I do think this quarterback competition is definitely not closed yet. I think you know scrimmage can happen, and either Jabari or Giovanni can have a really good performance and just like blow this thing up again because neither Jabori or Giovanni have looked bad. Both have looked also really good and have shown like mobility, which is where we thought that was CJ's thing, but Jabori and Giovanni have also shown an ability to escape and scramble if need be. So I still think this quarterback competition is thin. I don't think it's CJ's yet because I think they're going to, you know, wait to see what happens like through scrimmage but i right now it looks like cj's in the lead so right now look we're recording this on august 9th mm-hmm. you're referring to the scrimmage on august 11th correct? Yeah. yes okay when you talked to jason eck at media day did he make reference to wanting to have the quarterback position wrapped up not rushed but yeah. not dragging on like look with with paul for Paul Petrino for his mm-hmm. last couple seasons, not counting the spring. It took a while to get the quarterback situation 100% clear. So you're saying Jason Neck told you as well, he expected to try to have this done, you know, before the season starting. He, d- he definitely said that he is going to have a starter by the time Washington state rolls around. Okay. He, he, he said that they will uh, wean through, get each quarterback equal first team reps. And as, practices go on it's going to eventually transition to whoever's in the lead or whoever's going to win it getting the majority of those but yeah he he made it pretty clear week one was the deadline i think okay week one of of the season okay yeah against wsu did you cover idaho football during the spring no i did not it was just during uh last fall okay so it's gonna be tough to, to compare but the reason why i was bringing that up is from what we had been told during spring ball, uh, the quarterbacks, and this is not shocking to have mm-hmm. new, new offense and also with quarterbacks where they're splitting reps amongst multiple guys. So right. where it's tough for someone to get into a groove in the same kind of way we were told. And from the spring scrimmage itself, people saw mm-hmm. um, CJ and Giovanni 
look, they're having a rough time. There's, there's no real way around that. Right. But what you're describing is one, if CJ had a rough time in the spring, he's made some pretty significant growth in terms yeah. of comfort, in terms of command between what people saw in the sp spring scrimmage and what you've been seeing mm -hmm. through practice. Yeah. I think he and Giovanni have both really improved from the spring from talking okay. to Steph and like how he described how that scrimmage ended and how they've been playing now. I think they've, they've really been working over the summer. One of the things Luke Schleisner said on our show and we'd had other, other people tell us is one of the issues CJ had had in the spring was kind of trying to force big plays a little bit too much, which would lead to holding on to the ball too long, which mm -hmm. then led to just far too many sacks based off what you've seen. That's improved significantly. Oh yeah. He, he still definitely like takes the shots for sure. Uh, he had uh, one play today that uh, was to Alex Moore, that a one-handed catch on the front pylon and he just immediately sprinted down the field to you know congratulate alex but um yeah no he's he's done a lot better job i think from what i've seen of taking what the defense gives him uh obviously he still scrambles he's still going to use his mobility to extend plays that's one of his uh best traits but he's he's doing a lot better job at not taking every single deep pass he's made a lot better decisions i think okay and we're going to shift out of quarterbacks in a second, but I want to add, I got about three short questions left. One, could you just because unless our listeners watch 2019 tape of Jabori Gibbs at South Dakota State, mm -hmm. just haven't seen a ton of a ton of what Jabori looks like from what you've seen. Could you describe, let's say, place what type of quarterback he looks like, what appear to be strengths, like if he's the guy? Because, yeah. um, I mean, he was a starting quarterback at a on a good team as a freshman, but of course things change. Um, what kind of player does he look like so far? He looks like a guy who is very knowledgeable and has a very good handle on the offense, which makes sense because he played with Eck and Schleisner in South Dakota State. Um, I think he definitely has the best touch when it comes to deep ball. He he knows how to place it. And, you know, I think that first day they were running um, post corners and he – Every single throw he had was on the money. And uh, there has been uh, a couple things where it's like, I think it just comes down to like him trying to get the timing down with the receivers. Cause you know, obviously this is a new roster for him. He knows what Eck and Schleisner wants, but you know, it's kind of, you know, he's still learning how the players run their routes and when they get to certain marks that maybe at South Dakota state working with guys like Pierre Strong and Tucker Kraft, he, you know, that was completely different. Uh, but I, th I think he has the best handle on the offense still. And I think he d definitely has the best touch on the ball. Uh, he's also the least mobile of the three, but he is capable of doing, of using his legs when he has to. So but when he runs, if, if is Jabori Gibbs is a rusher, is he, is it more of like an opportunistic thing to extend plays? Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, it's definitely more of a take it if that's what you have type of deal, not, seeking he's always going to be uh seeking to throw the ball i think okay yeah and now giovanni mccoy who mm -hmm. if you watched idaho in 2021 you probably saw giovanni play he played yeah. against two of the best teams idaho played the entire season eastern washington mm -hmm. and montana and one of those games was on pretty minimal prep yeah uh, what kind of player how would you describe giovanni mccoy as as a player I think he has the strongest arm of the three. I think in terms of just pure arm strength, he has the he has the best arm. And I think he's done a really good job at, uh, you know, adding kind of like that mobility to his game because that was like one thing I think against Eastern and Montana. And it's obviously hard to scramble a whole lot against Montana because that front seven is scary. But um, he's shown a lot of uh, improved decision-making, I think, from when he was – which I don't think really you can – use those two games to knock him. He was a true freshman kind of thrown to the wolves, but uh, he's done a really good job at, I think, showing a lot of improvement in his decision-making uh, in his ability to extend plays. And he's shown off his arm strength, I think plenty of times over the course of practice. Sorry, we have a uh, cat and tree. 
Um, question, the question we have, it's from the comment thread, but mm -hmm. um, I'm going to make it slightly more broad. Uh, listener Tom Kendall asked how rich, if rich, rich, Ridge Dutchikal has been playing and how he's looked, but in, in addition to Ridge, uh, could you give just a quick rundown of what we've seen out of all the freshmen, which would include Ridge Dutchikal, Tyler Webb and Jack Lane. Yeah. Uh, freshman quarterbacks guys. Yeah. So Jack Lane, he actually has been uh, practicing a lot with uh, Giovanni Jabori and uh, and CJ, not as a, a member of the quarterback competition, but when the three quarterbacks were still splitting reps equally among the, among the ones, they put Jack in with the twos, and that was like day two or three of practice. So he's, I think, a lot farther ahead than a lot of people thought he was going to be coming into camp. Uh, Ridge and Tyler have also bo both looked great, but – Jack, I think, is definitely farther along than what a lot of people thought he would have been. Yeah, Jack was a guy who I went to the Coeur d'Alene VSF signing day event, mm -hmm. and Jason Eck had referenced him as a great candidate to become a linebacker, which then, you know, based off what you've seen in practice, saying Jack Lane, has he he's moved up yeah. um, in the position grouping. And that's that's maintained. You, that happened pretty early. The Jack yeah, that that right. happened pretty early, and that that hierarchy has more or less maintained. Yeah, yeah, it definitely has. They're they're definitely, I think, getting Ridge and Tyler more uh, more reps with you know the twos and the ones a little bit, just like through walkthroughs and things like that, and also one on ones. But it's it's still been you know Jabori, Giovanni, CJ, then Jack, and then Tyler. Tyler and Rich, not in that order, but you know, the top four is pretty solidified. Okay. We're going to shift from quarterbacks for a moment. Mm -hmm. And when I say for a moment, I mean for like the next 30 minutes, you've written a couple articles that have touched on um, other, of course, other areas other than quarterback, because mm -hmm. there there's other position group battles taking place. There's uh, other more playing time being solidified elsewhere. One of the things you wrote about, most recently is uh, two transfer lineback linebackers, Paul Malala from Nor Notre Dame and mm. oh man, Falonico, how you say it last yeah, name? Falonico. Yeah, Falonico. Yeah, Falonico. It's Justin Falonico, correct? Giuliano Falonico. Giuliano, why I say Justin? Good Lord, just drew a blank. I'm blaming this on Dallas and my cat. <laughs> why I say Justin? Anyway, uh, Dallas, this is your fault for not being here. So Giuliano Falonico, Paul Malala. Um, based off what you've seen, the Paul Malala, uh, there's you know there's injury concerns after blowing both Achilles tendons in Notre mm -hmm. Dame. Uh, Giuliano Falonico seems to just kind of fallen in our lap based yeah. off of the coaching change at USC. How have the first off those two guys look like they're essentially starters at this point? Correct. Yeah, they they both have pretty quickly like from the jump made carved a role for themselves amongst this uh, front seven. And it was actually something that Eck touched on on media day. He said that he was really comfortable with with uh, his depth in the front seven. And when you look at the rotations, it's really scary how you can have Mujib Rufai, Favai Favai, and you know Leo Tamba in like a stand up outside linebacker type of role, and then rotate that, and then have Falaniko, Moala. And, you know, still on your defensive line, have like Nate DeGraw on there. It's really crazy that that's the rotation they have. But it, it's, yeah, no, they, they're both getting a lot of time and making plays, too. Which, one, you wrote about the the Polynesian connection. Yeah. From Moala, Falonico, to um, Coach Riaswega. Mm-hmm. And Favai Favai would fall in there as well, correct? Which one just kind of so, wild. Yes. Yeah, pretty just pretty wild for you, Vi, to get that collection of one. Look, we, we don't it's just it's not it doesn't matter, of course, that they're Polynesian. We just care yeah. they're on the team and they're good. It's just a background thing that's unique relative to what we've seen for a while. And your article also said, look, the connection with uh Coach Oswego was actually pretty instrumental in getting both those guys. Yeah, Moala and Falonico to Idaho. Yeah, no, they they both um, really emphasize the fact, and they obviously you know made sure that the whole team has been welcoming, which you know they have 
they have been. They've kind of just drawn on the sidelines, fit pretty well with that from what I've noticed. But yeah, they both kind of very clearly emphasize that Polynesian connection. And it is something that obviously is was super important to them that uh, for them to make their decision to come over here. And yeah, I think they've fit right in to this uh, defense, even when they're not in the field, I've seen them, you know, helping out guys on the sidelines in terms of like teaching them and like trying to show them like a move to do on the next rep when they're in. And they've both been making plays. I think Moala's had like two or three plays where he's come to the outside on a stretch or a pitch. And he, if it was live, he would have gotten a tackle for loss. And there's been a couple plays where Paul and Nico just went straight up the middle. And again, if it was live, it probably would have been a sack or a tackle for loss. So they're both making plays and both interacting with the team in a ways that you would typically see leaders do. And yeah, that Polynesian connection was seems to be pretty important for them. But for the team as a whole, they've they've they just fit right in. And with with Moala specifically, because mm-hmm. just because the question we're going to have until we're eighty percent through the season, blowing two Achilles tendons is a we'll call it a not minor deal. Yeah, from what you've seen, I mean, he he looks fine. Correct. Just based off, I'm trying. I'm inferring that from what you've described. You haven't described any any way where it looks like he's holding back or it looks like there's concern about mm-hmm. his recovery. He just looks like he's a starter. Yeah. He he's, he's looked pretty healthy to uh, today's practice. There's, he was like banged up a little bit, went to the trainer's table for like two seconds. And then he was right back out in the field, you know, just normal practice, you know, bumps and bruises type of thing. He's looked pretty healthy. I haven't seen any, any issue when it comes to that. Which transition now to a different topic you wrote about, which is this. Now, this was also a theme in relation to how Idaho football has been for the last few years, except it's a different mm-hmm. flavor with Rob Orich as our defensive coordinator. You wrote about the front seven looking like a yeah. massive strength for Idaho. Just tell we've talked about linebackers a little bit, but uh, I just tell everyone what you've seen so far and like what you're seeing that led you to feel too right hey the front seven is clearly a relative strength for Idaho's defense yeah I just think it's the seamlessness between uh, the defensive line and the linebacking core and that was something that I was kind of worried we might lose with all of the graduates and the people who left the team last year because that was something that I think Idaho was really good on that felt like it truly felt like the linebacking core and the defensive line was one unit just because of the communication and like how they kind of went into each other uh, and there and, were sorry, just cutting in real quick. And there were a ton of a handful of guys who graduated last season who they were impact players for many years. Yeah, for example, like Trey Walker is one example. But like Chuck Akano is another mm-hmm. example who he wasn't quite the same player after he blew his Achilles, but he was still an impact player for sure. He still but, loved the team in sacks last year. Exactly, exactly. Now part of that's where he plays, but. Just as an example, the guys who left who played well, they were guys who'd been contributors for multiple years. That's part of why there was question about, hey, how was how was the uh, well? You described essentially the transition between or the the communication of play amongst front seven is pretty damn seamless, mm-hmm. which is impressive because for a lot of guys they haven't even been on campus that long. Yeah, no, it's it's been really crazy how kind of seamless that transition has been. And obviously you have returning players. You have Nate DeGraw and Favai Favai who, you know, are kind of like that anchor and that bridge between last year's defense and this year's. And then Leo Tomba coming back healthy. He's been playing really well. He's, you know, from the jump been a starter or practicing as a starter and he's been with the team as one. Uh, But yeah, I think it's just everyone buying in. I think that's what it comes down to because you know, learning a new defense, you know, Eck pretty much said they're going to be in a 3-4. Um, and also just having so much roster turnaround in that unit is crazy. And it would be something that would, for a lot of teams, would be really hard to overcome. But they've just, they've not missed a beat. And I was really surprised at how good they looked. So you you talked about the linebackers, talked about Nate and DeGraw as well. Any other either new faces or just new contributors who stood out? from the front front seven so far uh front seven i 
I have this bad habit of writing a lot of numbers down if I don't know their names and not coming back to it. But yeah, uh, Mujib Rufai, he's been, um, or I think I think that's Mujib Rufai. I have the roster right here. Um, and hey, Martin, while Taryn's doing his research, do you mind grabbing the roster just so we can uh, tag team and Taryn can also just say numbers if he needs to? But yeah, M- Mujib Rufai has definitely shown out. He's been kind of like right in that rotation with Fabai, Falonico, Moala, and uh, Leo in the linebacking core. Um, on the... Uh, and additionally, on the defensive side, uh, number 99 has been really, really good. Devontae Keys, he's been performing really, really well. Uh, ooh, trying to... Sam Brown's made a couple good plays. Uh, same with uh, Tanner Brooks. Thank you. But yeah, they've honestly, pretty much from the first rotation down to the second, it's been solid all the way around, but yeah, no, that front, it, the front seven, I think is going to be really, really strong again this year. And okay. Th- thank you for also w- w- given, just given listeners some names is back when I was a listener, it's just helpful to have names to be able to pay attention. So when you hear about, you know, you hear Devante keys got a tackle, you get it, you know, it takes you back to like, Hey, remember Tubbs, the club talked about that guy. Um, mm-hmm. An area for Idaho that people have felt promising about in the spring, partially because the last handful of seasons, it would just be hard to be worse, is secondary defense. Right. In the spring, secondary looks significantly improved. However, we already talked about the quarterback continuity thing early on, Mm -hmm. which does impact it. So as far as what you've seen now, the secondary – I mean, is it, and you can compare it to last season as well if you need to. How's the secondary look? Well, there's not going to be any more 10 yard off coverage like, consistently every single play anymore, like there has been. So that's something people can be relaxed about. Uh, but yeah, I think even with the quarterback play um, and with, you know, the competition being the competition, the secondary has still performed well. I think it's been a pretty. I think the first couple days, it definitely was more of the offenses, uh, more of the offenses day when it comes to conversions and big plays and things like that. Now I think there's been a pretty healthy balance. Uh, the defense has been getting picks. They've been taking advantage of, you know, maybe, you know, tip balls or tip passes. Uh, Kenyon and Trainer had a one-on-one, uh, had a couple one-on-one reps today and, Trainer took one, Kenyon took the other. It's competitive, which I think is something that a year ago we wouldn't have seen. It definitely would have gone probably to the offense. And I think just it being competitive is something that is really refreshing to see. And I think the secondary is going to be pretty solid this year. A lot of people are going to be disappointed about that cushion of death going away. <laughs> so, so shout out to our uh, – departed for the week co-host Dallas Hammer. I'm sure he's listening and I'm sure he is cracking a beer somewhere after hearing about that 10 yard cushion. Yeah. Away. No more speed outs or no more easy speed outs. So look, we we've hit a ton of the position groups. Um, couple more questions I have mm-hmm. first, like you've already hit on Alex Moore a little bit. Alex Moore is a guy that he'd been kind of a revelation in the spring. Cause he shifted over. He shifted from wide receiver to tight end. Right, And suddenly when he shifts position groups, he goes from a guy who's kind of buried in the wide receiver depth chart to just immediately competing for starting position at tight end. And X-Men open about this too. We're going to see a lot more tight end action this yeah. season than we'd seen in a while. Just talk about the pass catchers in general, but also kind of start to tight end, tight end a little bit if you can, just mm-hmm. because this is going to, this will be different than it was last season. How how are those hierarchies shaken out so far? Yeah, well, wide receiver, the one and two are pretty much set. It's Trainer and Hatton. Those are the top two guys at wide receiver. After that, um, that's where it gets interesting. I think Jermaine Jackson has been getting a lot of uh, reps with the ones. 
And I think that if there was going to be a solid depth chart right now, he would be kind of like the main slot guy. But uh, Jonathan Dwyer has also been making a lot of plays. Uh, and he's a fre- he's number 21. He's a freshman, I believe. He actually got rookie MVP honors at the first practice. And then um, surprisingly, there was another freshman who they were giving a lot of reps to is number 89. I think it's Hauser. Yeah, Tommy Hauser. He's a freshman from Post Falls. He, he's been getting a lot of reps too. So that's how, kind of like how the wide receiver is shaking is like those two. Also, Ma- Michael Noyle. Michael Noyle's been right up there with uh, getting reps with the ones with Trainer and Hatton. And then tight end, um, they've kind of been giving reps to anyone. It definitely seems like for the ones, especially in like the pass catcher type role from the tight end, it has been Alex Moore uh, that's been getting most of the reps. I think if the season were to start tomorrow, he would be the definitive starter. But like you said, Eck likes to use his tight ends. Connor Whitney has been getting a lot of reps as well. Dalton Cash has been getting a lot of reps. There's also been uh, a couple other tight ends that I'm blanking on right now. But they're kind of like going through the whole rotation. Chance Bogan, he's been getting a lot of the reps. Uh, but right now, I think and Chance Bogan, that's our tra- that's Idaho's transfer from university. Not transfer. He initially committed to University of Washington, decommitted, came to Idaho. All right. Yeah, he's been getting he's been getting a lot of stuff too. Uh, and then yeah, it, it's it's really refreshing to see a deep rotation with this team that all have been getting reps and all have, you know, been making plays. Uh, I mentioned Jermaine Jackson earlier. Uh, He was something that Matt Linehan mentioned when I uh, talked to him about a guy who's really been making a lot of plays. Uh, Dwyer has been really performing. Uh, Again, he's kind of like Jack, a guy who is probably much more farther ahead as a freshman than people thought he was going to be. Uh, and then, you know, Whitney Cash and Moore have just kind of been getting their their rotation with throwing Chance Bogan in there as well. So I, th- I think that's kind of like the main group of uh, tight ends and receivers that have been getting most of the reps with the ones and twos. And one of one of our listeners and one of our favorite players on the team because he's just fun as hell, Zach Borish. He's mm-hmm. he's. I know he's a slash. I mean, he plays all over the field, but he's also most part of playing on the field this season, the wide receiver group. Yeah. How has Zach Boris transitioning in this season from, you know, last year he's for the most part, he just took snaps under center and ran it, ran straight up, straight up the gut on most mm-hmm. plays. If he was, if he touched the ball, his role is radically different. We've talked about it. What have you seen with how X using Borish and how Borish has been react, has been responding to the new position? Mm-hmm. Well, Zach, this is actually interesting. Um, Zach has been running drills with the wide receivers, but when it comes to like the seven on sevens and 11 on 11s, he hasn't been uh, getting live reps in those type of drills. So, but he, when he's not getting those, he is working with a coach on the sideline, like still catching, still, you know, making sure that he's still doing something. So, and I don't know what that reason is. I haven't talked to Eck or Zach yet about it. That was something I was planning on doing tomorrow. Um, but I, I don't know if this is a thing where it's like Eck wants to keep those plays saved for right now, or if it's just making sure that Borish gets more time knowing the position and learning wide receiver before they throw him into seven on seven and 11 on limits. Cause they're also, and today was the first day of pads, so, of bull pads. So I'm wondering if I don't know which way it's going uh, and I don't know for sure, but in terms of in drills, he's been looking pretty solid. He's also doing uh, kick returns as well. Correct. Yeah. I've seen him in a couple of kick return drills. Yeah. Okay. That's a question we had from Tom Kendall in the comment thread. So I guess, uh, look, we've hit all of almost all the broadly speaking, large position groups, um, running back, I mean, I'll ask about running back. I'm not weirdly running back is not that intriguing for me right now because I just know we're, we've got a handful, a handful of guys who are solid, who are probably going to do a decent amount of rep splitting, mm-hmm. but I mean, Hey, running backs who stood out so far. Uh, it definitely seems like, uh, it's still, it's still Roshan is kind of like the do it all back. He's the one who's been getting a, most of the reps, I think. 
uh, in like 11 on 11s and seven on sevens, and he's been doing really well with it. Uh, Andre was today, I think he's one of those running backs that as soon as you allow contact, he is going to do his best. Because today he had like two just 10 yard runs that he just were carrying, he was just carrying people on his back like he does. <laughs> like, and, um, Eli has been really surprising in the passing game. I think, uh, and this was something that, um, they mentioned in the uh, the running backs feature too that they posted on the Idaho Athletic site. He's looked like the best route runner out of all the running backs. He's looked like a legitimate passing option when he's been when he's been getting practice and getting reps. And uh, <clears throat> um, Romano, he's also he's also been practicing with the kick returners like he was, and he's looked pretty fast uh, with the running backs, like a bit faster than he was last year. Uh, I don't think there's a set pecking order to it yet. Uh, what Eck said during media days was it was Roshan and Eli at one with Nick and Andre having an opportunity to push for that. I think that Andre has pushed for it. I think Nick has also shown that he should get more reps. So I still think it's uh, Roshan at the number one back. But after that, I think it's still yet to be determined. And um, I guess special teams, that's that's one of the areas that Idaho, you know, for example, uh, mm-hmm. field, field goal kicking last yeah. season uh, certainly was an issue for Idaho. Now, part of that was offensive line issues. Part of it was just miss some misses. Uh, I know that, look, Ric- Ricardo Chavez, that's the, the new place kicker. who He's going to do some punting as well. Yeah. Uh, we, we know he certainly has a leg uh, for from what you've seen in practice, I mean, I, I don't know how, how much you would have got to see him just based off how much you've talked about all the other groups. Yeah. But anything, I guess, anything to add from what you've seen on special teams? Um, I haven't really seen that much in terms of kickoffs and punters. I think they've either been practicing amongst themselves or they kind of do it before practice officially starts, uh, before I usually get there. I will say Ricardo won the, uh, won the battle axe today, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> So that was, I think, uh, yeah, Ricardo Chavez, number 10. He won the battle axe today. So I think he did well enough, you know, to earn that. Uh, and I think, you know, we've all seen, I think, the highlight clips on on Twitter of him, you know, looking pretty accurate when it comes to his kicking. So, yeah. I it's would still say a little bit early teams. to have much return so far from on special teams from what you've yeah. seen. Yeah, okay. I, I think the jury's still out, but I, I, am, I will say that there is – Cautious optimism, I think that's appropriate for the special teams unit right now. Okay, and again, the the actual last question about position group is the like, offensive line is probably going to dictate a lot of mm-hmm. how how much of a turnaround can take place this season. Yeah, uh, that's also a position Jason Eck told me at media day that Idaho. Idaho's just get relatively we're going to be a little bit thin there because mm-hmm. it takes years to develop guys and that this is just where we're at. How's the offensive line look so far? Um it's it's definitely been like X said, you know, not the strongest position on the field. It's, you know, they've definitely had their moments where they have probably given up have probably had not the best practice and I think that you know, the offense will improve. I think since practice started, uh, they've been a lot better. Um, but I do think that's probably going to be, as the season starts, that's going to be the one position where it's, you know, a lot of defenses will take advantage of the most. Um, that being said, uh, I think X done a really good job at trying to limit what the offensive line's weakness, like how much that can harm the team uh, with, without going into like too much about the formations and like the stuff I've seen, uh, he's done a lot in terms of like adding a lot of misdirection and motion to the offense that I think, you know, can take a defense by surprise. So I do think that the offensive line is probably the weakest position on the offense right now. I do think it's been improving as well, but I also think that Eck has kind of figured out a way to limit 
how bad that impact can be on the team. Okay. So we're, we're going to do a small shift, okay. which I gave you no warning about. So, <laughs> Taryn, like so far you've been talking exactly as people would expect a reporter to talk about, to talk mm -hmm. and that you're giving, you're explaining what you saw. And when you're giving observations, uh, you're essentially attaching evidence to yeah. what you saw. I'm going to ask you to throw that out, throw all that out the window for a second. Okay. And more just, you don't have to call it a hot take, but more, mm. just, more just a little interpretive about that. How about that? Uh, question right. one. If you had to pick who you think is going to finish as quarterback one, only based off what you've seen so far and you don't get to see other practices, who would you pick? CJ Jordan. Okay. Is it close or not? It's close. Okay. Who would you put at number two then? I would put Jabori at two. Okay. Understood. That, that makes sense. That uh, different question. Mm -hmm. If Idaho has a turnaround type of season relative to last year, what are the top two position groups you think people are going to say those those two groups look different than they did the last nine years? Tight end and cornerback. Tight end and corner. Cornerback. Yes. Cornerback. Okay. And. Out of those two position groups, which do you think is going to be the most in your face that it will be different? Tight end. For sure. Tight end. Okay. And that's partially stylistic as well in yeah. terms of we're just calling different plays. Okay. Yeah. I think I know the answer. If Idaho does not make the kind of turnaround we that ever Vandals hope they're going to make, mm -hmm. what are two position groups that are going to not have made enough of a jump? Uh cornerback and offense or cornerback and quarterback, I think are the two cornerback and quarterback though. Okay. From this far away. And because, Hey, you follow, you covered the team last year. Um, just culturally, like, and mm -hmm. I, I don't mean this in like an abstract sense. I more mean this in the sense of like, Hey, how, how players are experiencing the team and how fans are going to experience this new coming team. How different is the culture? Oh, it's totally different. It's a complete 180. I mean, last year, I think after a certain point in the season, and I think a lot of people have been pointing to the EWU game as kind of like that point, you could kind of tell the team just wasn't feeling that season anymore. You know, I, I think it's it, it's kind of hard to come back and have fun after, you know, having 70 points put on you. But I think this year, people are having fun. There's music playing on the Kibbe Dome speakers during practice. There's coaches celebrating with the players, getting involved, you know, being active when it comes to the coaching. Not to say that, you know, coaches weren't that thing, weren't those things last year. But, you know, this year definitely seems to be like, not only are is the energy back, but people are having a lot more fun with it compared to last year, especially towards the end of the season where they weren't. This is hot take world now. Okay. Let's pretend you don't get to see another practice. All right. But you'll get to watch again. You'll get to watch again if you want to. Let's say like whatever practice you went to last was your last one. All right. You expect do you expect Idaho finishes over five hundred? We can't finish at five hundred because we play eleven games. Yeah, eleven. Uh I would say they finish at five wins. Okay, so the, you you think the fair prediction right now would be five and six? Yeah, but they're going to be competitive. I think even in their losses, it's they're going to be close losses. So five that five and six, that'd be one and two in the non-conference, mm -hmm. and you'd project four and four in conference. Yeah. Okay. Based off being a student, based off of covering the team last year, five and six. If this were Paul Petrino, who's been here forever. I mean, mm -hmm. people would just say, hey, this is more the same thing because it'd be essentially more the same thing. Would you do you expect fans are going to be a little bit more sympathetic to a five and six this season? I think they will be with it being experts year and again. I think it's going to be five and six with the caveat of those losses are going to be competitive. I think, you know, every Vandal fan will take like a, a 24 to 21 loss to EWU compared to the 71 to 21 it was last year or a 28 to 24 loss against Montana over 34 to 14. And I think that, you know, with it being X first year, I think people are going to understand like, Hey, 
this is pretty much a completely new team. It takes time. And also, if the team is competitive, like I think they will be, then I think people are going to be like, yeah, we're losing, but we're like right there. You know, I think people take that. And we're going to jump to the ad read while we have live viewers. But before we jump to the ad read, Taryn, we have the reversal next, which is where you could ask me and Martin any question. It can be sports related. It can have nothing to do with sports as well. It's your call. You can think over what question you're going to go to while we go over our the ad for our favorite sponsor and one of our favorite listeners, uh, Hughes River Expedition, who's been supporting supporting tubs of the club and for quite a while. So if you're looking for a great all-inclusive week-long vacation, don't look past your backyard. Venture into the largest protected wilderness in the continental U.S. located right here in the great state of Idaho. Enjoy a multi-day trip down the middle fork of the Salmon, the main Salmon River, no return, the Salmon River Canyons, or the Selway, and you can even check out special trips like the one to see the Perced Meteor Shower. Camp on pristine beaches, run amazing white water, hike scenic trails, spot wildlife, soak in beautiful natural hot springs, take in the history along the river and fish some of the most remote stretches of river in the country. You just bring it close, let HRE handle the rest. Hughes River Expeditions has been vandal owned and operated since 1976 and ready to take you on a vacation of a lifetime. What are you waiting for? Find out what it's like to grab a paddle, catch dinner, and ride the bull all throughout the gem state. Call now at 800-262-1882 or check them out at HughesRiver.com. And Taryn, back to you for the reversal. All right. So for you, uh, what would be your idea of a successful season for the Vandals this year? What would you consider a success for this team? So in terms of like a metric, Mm -hmm. um, if we, if Idaho finishes six and five, that I think people have to be happy with that because the big sky is just a deeper conference now than it was 10 years ago where look when montana went on their streak you know in the 90s to early 2000s this just wasn't a conference that had you know five teams in it that have a case to not only make the playoffs but have a seed and for idaho to if idaho is a fringe playoff team still competing for a for a playoff spot last week of the season so that'd be five and five going into the idaho state game Mm-hmm. I think you'd have to call that a resounding success. Five and six could five and six could be is also potentially fun. look anything is going to be fine. Look, people gave Paul two years of winning no no games like one game. Uh, if Jason Eck only wins five his first season, whatever. But in a more descriptive sense, a successful season to me is going to be like if. If Idaho's losing games, it's because, for example, like you talk about offensive line, if we just don't have the horses on the offensive mm-hmm. line that Eck has proven he can develop when he's at South Dakota State, it just takes three years to do it. If because we don't have those guys, we just have a smaller margin for error, which makes it harder to win all the games you should, look, that's okay. Right. Uh, if we're not the worst passing defense in the league – and that's part of why we're, we're losing is because anyone can do whatever they want through the air. And we see significant improvement in secondary, even if we're still, you know, like five and six ish. Mm-hmm. Look, dude, guys, that's fine. We're seeing marked improvement. Guys need some time. Most big sky new coaches. If you look at them recently, Taryn, look, the easiest example is you can look at as Troy Taylor of a guy who turned things around in one year. But part yeah. of that was because the year before he was there, Sacramento state was just decimated injury wise. So, he got a healthy roster. Plus he was a better coach than Jody Sears. And it just, things just turned around. Most coaches who are successful, it takes at least a year to get, get your bearing. Let me look at Montana. Mm-hmm. Bobby Houck came back in 2018 and Montana look, Montana fans are upset about how the Bob Stitt years went. Idaho fans would kill for disappointment like the Bob yeah. years right now. And yep. still Bobby Houck finished six and five in his first year back in Montana. Bobby Houck's one of the most successful coaches in the history of the big sky. Only thing he doesn't have is a championship. He took a year to get Montana, you know, stabilized for playoffs. Jeff Chode at Montana state who look, he's the guy who pushed Montana state up to where they're at now. And again, Montana state didn't precisely bottom out prior to Jeff, Jeff Chode being there. But his first season, they were sub 500. Jay Hill's first season at Weber State, they were sub 500. It just usually it takes a little bit of time. And look at our current batch of new coaches. Mm. I have no idea when things are going to turn around in Cal Poly. I still believe Bo Baldwin can do it. But 
look, we've seen he has some growing pains. Sure, Cal Poly's unique, but I don't care. It's mm-hmm. still taking him time. And uh, Chris Ball at Northern Arizona, they're like maybe a little bit better than they were the than when he when he was before he was there. But mm-hmm. the the changes have been uh, pretty minor in Northern Arizona. So look, I mean, things take a year. It, it takes time for guy, like a new coach to get all the guys he needs. So to circle back in a descriptive sense, if Idaho is showing improvement, if you're we're starting to see, hey, that if we're starting to see Idaho play in a way where you as a fan or you as a reporter can point to specific position groups and say, look, if we just get a little bit better on the offensive line, suddenly this is a winning team. That's more what I'm going to care about. And if that means we're five and six or we're four and seven, but we have a lot of close losses, whatever that, that's, I guess mm-hmm. the descriptive part's a bigger deal to me. So follow up to that. Do you think that the big skies kind of, I mean, obviously Montana is still going to be Montana. Montana State's probably still going to be Montana State, but with how many schools have either some kind of coaching turnaround or have lost key players, do you think that this year kind of like the the hierarchy of like EWU always being in there, Sac State always being in there might get shaken up a little bit? Well, look, the one correction I'm going to give, or the one thing I'll just there is like this Sac State being in there's last two year thing. Recently, so, in terms yeah. of recent hierarchy, um, yeah. Yeah. So is this a year where the middle, let's say the middle or like the, the second tier of the conference could look different? Is that yeah, like, that, like the bottom half of playoff teams could be like a, instead of like what it was last year, it could be like Weaver's back up there or, you know, something like that. Oh, for sure. I think that the bottom half is open. Look, you can, I'm going to point to UC Davis mm-hmm. as an example. UC Davis made the UC Davis made the playoffs. I was not that impressed. Yeah, with they, UC Davis throughout last season. They're not bad. They're a well-coached team. Dan Hawkins has won at places other than UC Davis. He knows what he's mm-hmm. doing. But you know, is last was last year's UC Davis team talent wise like miles ahead of a school like Idaho? No, no, I don't think so. Were they miles ahead of Weber State? No, I mean Weber State. Their unending question is, can they figure out a way to score once in a while? Uh, they have another new offensive coordinator, but I, I think the bigger deal is uh, Jay Hill taking his annex in relation to Weber State trying to put points up on the board. Mm-hmm. But I absolutely think that. Like you said, the let's say the back half of teams competing for a playoff spot. We're just going to trust Montana, Montana State. They have talent, and they've got solid coaching. They're probably not going to face plant in the upcoming yeah. season. Absolutely, I absolutely think that we could see a shakeup. You know, it's you brought up Eastern. We're going to have our Big Sky preview overall next week. But look, you're right. Mm-hmm. Uh, Eastern just had they just graduated a Walter Payton Award winner. Uh, one of the stories I talked to Ryan Collingwood, former. Eastern reporter. And one of the things that just kind of went missed last season with how the coverage in Eastern evolved, Eastern Washington had a lot of 60 year seniors who stayed in Cheney on last year's team. Well, they're not there anymore. Like Tulu Limu Jones is not who was the best receiver in the league last year. Well, he's, he's not there anymore. Andrew Boston's not there anymore. They have some good guys coming in. Aaron best has done fine retooling to the extent he needs to, but they're certainly going to take a step back at quarterback. There's no way not to. So their yeah. identity, they're either going to take a step back or their identity is going to have to be different some sort of way. So in short, yeah, I, I do. Since you're here, I'm going to respond with, what about you? Uh, yeah, I definitely think that the bottom half, I mean, EWU, they, they definitely, it's like all the things you said. They lost the six-year seniors and they lost a Walter Payton award winner. They always find a way to replace really, really good players with more really, really good players. The fact that at quarterback they've had Vernon Adams, Bo Levi Mitchell, and Eric Verrier in like a 10, 15-year span is ridiculous. You also miss Gage Gubrud in there too. It's just they always find a way to retool. So I feel like until I see a down season, I can't really cut them out from like the guarantees. I think they're just in there until they're not. I can tell you real quick, and then I'll I'm I'll stop interrupting you. Mm-hmm. Their quarterback's not going to be as good this year. Aaron Best told me that right now Gunnar Talkington is the starter. 
uh, and they okay. don't have a clear number two. Now, that, of course, doesn't mean like things can change between media day and first snap of the season. Mm -hmm. But Gunnar Talkington has been with the program. He stayed uh, behind Derek Berrier. He's going to be the starter. We've seen Gunnar Talkington play some. Uh, Eric Berrier, he is not. Yeah. Yeah. I, that, that's a good point. Uh, so, but I still just, even with that, I think they just kind of, they're in there until they're, until they're not. Um, do I think they're going to be like a top three offense like they were last year? Probably not. But I still think they're definitely going to be competitive in a lot of those games. Uh Sac State, I mean, they're just, they're, you know, two-time Big Sky champs. They, they're, I really think that they're a team that just always finds a way to sneak up on people. So I think they're definitely going to be in that. I wouldn't associate them with Montana or Montana State, not on that level quite, but I think they're definitely a tier below that. I think if we're considering there's going to be like six uh, Big Sky playoff uh, berths like there was last year, um. It's the final two that I'm I'm tripped up on. I think that I think Idaho having northern uh, northern Colorado and Drake on the schedule this year is pretty good for them, uh, just because Drake historically not even not a great program. Um, when you need that extra FCS out of conference win so that you don't yeah. have to go seven and one in conference. Not let me shift back to you in a second, just so listeners, if you're new. Uh, especially the whole FCS thing. Broadly speaking, a school in a good FCS conference like Idaho in the Big Sky, South Dakota State in the Missouri Valley, if your team gets seven FCS wins or seven Division One wins, meaning you, you have four losses because it's an 11-game season, seven and four is usually thought of as, hey, that's around the bubble, but if you're in a bigger conference, you're probably in at seven and four with eight we have eight conference games. That's where the math of seven and one to get seven wins without the out of conference game comes. Yeah. So I consider considering that, um, I mean, if we just assume that FCS follows like the trend that they're paid to do to lose to the FBS teams, it's, you know, we'd be, and obviously it's year to year with FCS. We can't like really take last year's results too much into consideration, but Northern care, Colorado, I would consider that a win. Northern Arizona, it's a 50-50, but I think we win that. Uh, Portland State, we beat last year. So including Drake, that's already four wins. That's already a match at where Idaho was last year. UC Davis, uh, that team was competitive, and that was the game that C.J. Jordan got out hurt. That's five right there. And then Idaho State, so it's kind of, it might – play off like the scenario you described of like five and five heading into Idaho state and then Idaho state possibly being that sixth win. Yeah. Six and five for Idaho. It would put us, it would put us on the bubble, but if we're, if Idaho six and five, we pro one fans should probably expect we're on the outside looking mm -hmm. in, or if we're six and five and we make it, it's because Idaho had some pretty big wins and then something like injuries early in the year. Um, explain a couple losses we shouldn't have had because the committee, they, they use a simple rating system to yeah. calculate people's resume. But th there is a little bit of understanding for things like injuries that the committee can take into account. Yeah, so I, I think that Idaho's going to be in the mix. They're going to be on the bubble, like you said. I think it might come down to the last two weeks in terms of where, like, those last two or three spots in the Big Sky go in terms of who makes the playoffs. But I think it's going to be a lot of very competitive, especially, like, the middle part of the table. Yeah, we're going to... I'm going to hold a little bit of my take on Idaho because we still have next week. We're going to do our big sky preview mm -hmm. the week after that. We're going to do our Idaho, the entire season preview. And then the following week it's, we have a Washington state game that mm -hmm. we're going to talk about, but look what you're describing for Idaho is it's kind of not different than if you look at the last few seasons and you simply say, look, if Idaho through just through different scheme, wasn't throwing some games away. Well, some that is a fringe playoff team if you we weren't throwing some yeah. some wins away. Like I'd been told separately, this is, I mean, off the record is in like, I can't tell you who the source is, but I can tell you a very good source uh, right. told me that 
Montana coaches considered Idaho to have top three talents in the big sky last season, but the worst coach. And I mean, that was why Idaho, they believed Idaho Montana coaches felt Idaho finished the way they, they did. It's hard to argue that point. If you look at Idaho players from the Petrino era who made it to the NFL, Idaho is tied with EWU for the most active players from the big sky in the NFL. So it's hard to argue the point that that team was really, really talented, but just underachieved. Yeah, that's um, and look, and Orich Rob Orich was on our show, and hey, look, he did it diplomatically. But it's hard to talk about what you, as a new coach, want to do different without mm-hmm. it being understood as subtext. You want to do it different because it was done poorly or not as well, not as well at the very least prior to it to when you were here. Um, you know, an example too is like our secondaries. I mean, again, I've brought it up. We had we were depending on the metric you look at for pass defense last season. Mm-hmm. Idaho was the worst or the second worst. We're in a, just a death match with Idaho State for who could give up the most yards and touchdowns through the air. We didn't we didn't have this radical turnover in terms of we have you know complete new talent at secondary. Yeah. We have a lot of guys who the names are going to be familiar. Marcus just, Harris, Josh Jones. Exactly. It's just schemes going to be different, and coaches believe that's going to that will be enough for not enough, like, you know, long-term, but in terms of, will we be better? That seems like they believe they certainly should be better next year. Based off what you, you said, you've seen, looks like we shouldn't expect to be better. Um, we're at an hour Terran. So we're going to mm-hmm. start to round things off, but uh, before we shift over uh, to producer Martin and his uh, no notice producer, Martin sports ticker, I know he can give a little bit of update in the sports ticker because he went to a soccer game. Anything else football-wise you want to bring up before we begin the process of closing the, the bar? Just that I think um, fans will see a different Idaho team this year, and I think it will be an exciting one for them. Okay. You heard it here first. That's Taryn Kovach, uh, who actually my, my true last question before we shift over to Martin there's going to be a new beat reporter for covering Idaho football for Lewiston. Mm-hmm. Will you still be, you're still going to be covering sports for Lewiston Tribune? Uh, the, the plan right now is for me to be uh, part-time uh, after my current uh, news desk internship ends. Uh, but yeah, uh, assuming that I continue to keep working for the Tribune. Yeah. Part-time sports. I'll still be around a little bit. Okay. Uh, Taryn, we may, and you follow Idaho football anyway, correct? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we may message you once in a while as, uh, in case you're interested in coming on as a non-reporter to uh, <laughs> talk Idaho sports, but um, I, would, I would definitely be interested in doing that. Th- thanks for your time. And also, Hey, when Martin throws in a sports ticker, still just consider yourself a co-host for the next three minutes. All Martin, right. producer Martin, the sports ticker, something that, Look, we were off last week. We had our Tubbs call. One of the things some of our patrons talked about is, hey, they like not having full segments about some of the non-premier sports. But if there's any news relating to not some of the non-football, non-basketball sports, they don't mind yeah. that real quick. So we invented, meaning we did not do any planning for this, <laughs> uh, the Producer Martin sports ticker. So Producer Martin, start sports ticker. Yeah, so uh, there wasn't a whole lot this weekend. Sports kind of just started picking up. Volleyball had their first camp. Uh, the big, the one note is uh, Vandal Soccer won their uh, scrimmage against the the University of Calgary Dinos 2-0. It was a very much got a goal early and then kind of got a got a late goal against a very good uh, Canadian college team and. That's it. Their next game is against uh, UW, the University of Washington, on the 11th. Then their first home game is on August 28th, I believe. So, sorry, what was the soccer? Who'd they play? Uh, The University of the Calgary Dinos, a Canadian college team. When you saw Canadian college, did you have any sort of uh, Simon Fraser PTSD? No, this team was Dinos. It was way different. Cooler logo, cooler team. (laughs) radically different is that is that the oh and no producer martin you you can tell us about the led lights 
Oh yeah. That's from the Sports LED Center. lights that they put in are very nice. If you check out the soccer highlight, the goal they posted of uh, Savannah Foster's goal, they it's very small. It's hard to see with the uh, day games lights, but it is very. It'll be very cool for the six p.m. kickoff homecoming game. Yeah, which is LED lights inside the Kibbe Dome have been installed. They're much more, let's say, versatile in terms of what you can mm-hmm. use them for in terms of game production. And I know somebody else that'll be loving them and will be wanting to include them in his shows too. Okay. <laughs> Hell yeah. All right, Martin, that is the uh, producer Martin Sports Minute or Sports Ticker. Do you want to be the Sports Ticker or the Sports Minute? Martin Minute. Let's go with that in the future. We'll go with the Martin Minute. So that had a cousin of the Mountaineer Minute uh, from shows past. Well, hey, guys, I uh, already talked over the schedule, but we're back to weekly right now for Tubbs. Uh, as the season progresses, we're, of course, going to have reaction episodes. Uh, we may still still trying to figure out how to make it work, have um, a power rankings podcast that just comes out on Sunday nights. Think of this big sky after dark. Uh, in which it'd be producer Brian, your worst producer, and uh, whoever the hell I can get on the show to run through the league real quick. But that's kind of the big thing. Uh, We have new merch. It's been ordered. It's going to be shipped out to patrons the moment it gets to my door. If you're interested in that stuff, join us at OnlyTubs at patreon.com backslash tubs at the club. That should have been hashtag OnlyTubs at patreon.com backslash tubs at the club. If you don't want to do a Patreon thing but want to support the show, just message us. Uh, we, We can we'll find a way to to get that sport over to us at this point, Taryn Kovach. Thanks for coming on. Uh, follow Taryn real quick. Tell people where to find you online. Yeah. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter. That's where I'm most active uh, at TKC Hawk 13. Uh, if you have any questions for any stories, uh, T Kovach at LM is my email. Uh, yeah. Thank you guys so much for having me again. You're the, you're the uh, president of the Drew Lock fan club, correct? I'm more of a Gino guy. Honestly, I'm more of a Gino Smith guy right now. I honestly think there is no good answer to that question. That's why there is not. It's it's really bad for us right now. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, again, Taryn, thanks for joining us. Everyone knows producer Martin. He's going to play us out with whatever the hell he wants. And until next time, guys, go Vandals. Go Vandals. Go Vandals.